Hello, everybody. I know that everything that's going on in the world right now, man, it feels a bit crazy. Every one of us has been affected by what's happening right now. There's incredible change. And we're all wondering, you know, what's next? How do we get through this? What are, what's some of the best advice out there from a practical perspective, how to lead, how to think about these things? And so I asked uh, some friends of mine, people that have been on the podcast and in our community, just to come on and record some bonus episodes on exactly just their best thinking on how they're approaching this. And some of these conversations are absolutely, they're just so equipping inspiring and fantastic and we just wanted to share these with you uh, as just some extra from us and please if there's anything at all we can do for you don't hesitate to reach out john at eternalleadership.com or steve.writer r-e-i-t-e-r at rightturn.media so please get in touch with us we would love to hear from you and god bless you in everything that's happening right now as a father, right? You're in Darla's situation and you have so many clients. I'm sure there's people that are reaching out to you today, right? Health wise, what finances and business look like. I think for sure there's going to be some significant structural changes to probably some things culturally. I think even I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to think it's going to be more than what happened after 9-11, honestly. Right, so you have all this incredible ambiguity and a lot of us are in a position where we are leading and influencing others, uh, whether it's our family, our team, you know, and there's a lot of people still that have to work. A good friend of ours is a nurse practitioner in Chicago. She feels like she's going to war every day. They're actually, as of yesterday, ran out of masks. So she's reusing masks. She's scared to death. Her mom is compromised. So they're trying to figure out a place for mom to live because Amy has to go to work. I mean, this is like something that we haven't really, I think, faced before. It's not like we can go to our usual mentors. You know what I mean? That's kind of how well, it feels no to precedent. me. Yeah, there's no precedent. Yeah, there's no precedent. You know, Nassim Tlaib calls it the black swan. You know, we can factor in things that are known, but we can't factor in things that are unknown. And, you know, even though Several people are being credited with having predicted this. I think what most people predicted was something like this could happen. By the way, if you make enough predictions, somebody's bound to be right. You know what I mean? That's the law of big numbers. But, yeah. you know, the overriding principle for me is do the best you can and don't worry about the rest because worry takes a great deal of emotional and physical energy. And, you know, we're all leaders, whether it's family leaders in our families, our communities, or our businesses. And we really, if you haven't figured this out by now, you don't control everything that happens. And so you can only take responsibility. And I know it's a, an old bromide. You can only take responsibility for what you control and how you respond to what you don't control or can't control. Mm -hmm. And I think first and foremost is the safety of your people, your team, whether that's your family or the people at work. What bothers me more than anything is there's extremes. There are people saying, you know, this is the apocalypse. And there are other people saying, you know, we're overdoing it. And obviously they can't both be right. And so what you have to do is you have to be informed. And it's time to work a little harder at being informed. There's a mistake in cognitive reasoning called the availability heuristic. And it says we glom on to the easiest to get information. Anytime somebody sends me something that says they've got a source, 
I instantly discount it. And I have been guilty of it. I have some pretty high place sources mm-hmm. and some of my sources have been wrong because even sources are going on decisions that might change, hearsay that wasn't true to begin with. So I think the big work is before you can figure out what you can do and quit worrying about what you can't is you've got to be uber informed. I don't mean the transportation service. I mean, super informed. And frankly, that takes hard work. Most people aren't used to thinking this hard. And when people start to think about something and they become afraid, then it shuts down the logical part of their brain and the emotional part takes over. So that would be the, the first thing. The other so, thing. So how would you recommend people react? Like you hear, let's say, you know, you read an article, you see a headline or somebody forwards you something and it almost triggers you, right? It causes like a fear response. And because I know that my wife and my son, you know, people forward them stuff all the time. And I've been actually working hard at, with them on like not reacting. What is the source? Do they have an agenda is this good or bad? Like, how do we even think through some of the stuff that's just being thrown at us constantly, Mark? Well, I think you have to look at the source and I think you've got to see, you know, because now people are, you know, I got the Stanford medical memo about drinking water every 20 minutes to wash the virus into your stomach where the stomach acids could kill it. That was bogus. Stanford didn't put that out. And by the way, if you know anything about viruses, you know, then if you drank water continually, you'd never have one. You'd never have a cold. You'd never have flu. That's not how that works. So what I would first say is, you know, even though it's not the gold standard, I go to Snopes or fact check because some of it's instantly debunked and you don't have to waste more time looking into it. I would say, look at your sources. And here's what, go back to what Socrates said. He said his secret was he knew he didn't know, Mm. you know, and I don't know. I know, obviously, I know a little more than some people, but I know a whole lot less than the experts. And frankly, not all the experts know because they aren't sure. See, we're in uncharted territory. And, you know, it's like we're making this up as we go along. One of the things my brother and I were just talking about, and I think Cuomo, I've not been a fan of Governor Cuomo in New York, but just difference of opinion about things, but I think he's done an incredible job of leading the response. That's ground zero. That's the epicenter. And Cuomo did something that, you know, was admirable. He said, you know, I'm making the decision. That's what I do. I'm the leader. You didn't have a chance to sort through what I've sorted through I haven't gathered the information, and if I'm right, I'm right, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I'm taking responsibility. This is not the time to let people vote. Do you think there's anything right now in your company or perhaps even your family unit that everybody is going to agree on? That's the hard part of leadership, not just making the decision, but owning the decision. And if you make a bad decision, someday you may have to apologize. But if you don't make a decision, you might as well start apologizing right now because that's an abdication of leadership. I'm not talking about being arrogant or overconfident. I'm just talking about humbling, gathering as much information as you can and doing what needs to be done. Now, my wife has an autoimmune problem. My mother-in-law lives with us. She's 85. I'm the only person that goes to the grocery store. I'm the only person that goes to the pharmacy because I, and this goes back to your question you asked a long time ago, there's no downside to being overly safe. You know, maybe you missed an opportunity to get together with friends for a beer that you used to drink on Friday afternoon, or maybe you, maybe instead of having the face-to-face time with a client, you do it by Zoom. By the way, I don't know many clients right now that want to see you face-to-face, so that's not a missed opportunity. 
And so I just don't see what the problem is in being too cautious. I see a big problem in being uncautious because mm. that's one of the dominoes that can you know, start a reaction with very, very bad consequences. Oh, before I forget, John, you know, somebody once said before this ever started, nobody should ever waste a good crisis. I think that today, write down what you're learning as you lead through this, because this is a playbook you're probably going to need again if you live long enough. Maybe you're going to need it again sooner than later. And too often, we don't learn unless we remember what we learn. Learning is about retention, not exposure, right? And if you have an insight or somebody gives you some good advice, record it in a journal, put it in a digital file. Because increasingly, and that's why I'm always amused by people. There are people, by the way, who know about leading through a crisis and they have good things to say. There are no people that have led through this crisis unless, of course, they're in Wuhan and they were frontline when that happened. So we got to be real careful that we just assume that whatever crisis has happened in the past, everything we learn from that crisis will overlay and apply to this crisis. But my point is, Make sure you learn. Don't just suffer through this. Learn from it. I mean, that's your choice. Yeah. Do you think it would be a worthwhile exercise to go even back through some other things that have happened, right? Like my first business was completely wiped out when the internet bubble popped and my next company got decimated with the telecom crash and I've been through my own personal health crisis. I think sometimes if we actually take ourselves out of the noise and pressure of the moment and actually look back through our life, especially, you know, for those of us that, you know, whatever faith guides them, right? There's things that we can actually pull out that actually help us, I think, in the present to show up as better people, a better friend, making better decisions to the best of our ability. Like you started out with, hey, do the best you can. And right, if I, to paraphrase, right, if your best turned out to be not the best, right, you made a bad decision, own it, learn from it. And then, you know, guess what? As a leader, you're going to have to then make another decision. Yeah. And John, I think, you know, if you're a person of faith, and I posted this on my Facebook account, do the best you can and leave the rest to God. You and I've talked about this. I heard a mountain climber once who had just crossed a crevasse and as they were going further up Everest, they looked back and saw 11 Japanese climbers fall into the crevasse and instantly die. And he said something that, you know, I've never forgotten. He said, it was at that point I realized I'm not completely in control, but things aren't out of control. And I think that's a beautiful way to meld the fact that we are limited in our powers. But if you are a person of faith, things aren't out of control. And we're not going to go down the theological slopes of why, you know, why we suffer and things like that. But I do think it's worth reminding people that, at least in my opinion, and I know your opinion, things aren't out of control. I also, by the way, I read an interesting article. I've always been fascinated by Nietzsche. You know, he turned out to suffer from a lot of health and mental issues. But the article I read said that, you know, Nietzsche's will to power is often misunderstood because we think of power as oppressive, you know, a tyrant or a criminal having power over us. And what this particular philosopher said is Nietzsche's will of power is we want to have power to be who we want to be, to change ourselves, to protect our loved ones. And so I don't know, I'm not a Nietzsche expert. I don't know if that interpretation is true, but I like that interpretation. You know, you might call it using power for good. And I think that we all want control. And that is, you know, that is the real issue that leaders are facing today, uncertainty. You know, that's at the top of my list. Everything else, there's a lot of important things, but uncertainty is at the top of that list. 
because we don't want to make the wrong decisions. But don't let that paralyze you into making no decisions. So, you know, the, the question is, is first of all, prioritize. When, when we say do the best you can, start by prioritizing. What does that need to be? I would say safety, health, and reassurance is at the top mm. of the list. Then I would say, my next bit of advice would, if you don't know, don't say it. Because even if you preface it and say, I'm not really sure, but I think, that'll come back to bite you. Yeah. Speak from certainty. I know that for the next three months, we will be able to, and I'm giving you an example, I know for the next three months, we'll be able to pay you. I can't speak to what happens after that. I can tell you we want to get through this. My brother had to lay off an entire restaurant staff, and he said, you have jobs when this is over, but in the interim, you've got to apply for unemployment. There's just no work for you here. I have a virtual team of three people, and I emailed all three and said, I'm unemployed for the foreseeable future. As a speaker, there are no meetings. I just had my last, my most recent cancellation was the end of April. So I just wanted to let them know I wasn't planning to put my business on pause, and I know they have families. And so I said, I'm going to continue to pay you. And I'm blessed and fortunate that I've been saving for a rainy day, and by golly, it's pouring right now. Yeah. Uh, so the second thing would be, say what you know, but don't make promises you can't keep. And then the third thing I would say, John, is everybody right now is saying you got to over-communicate. Over-communication is a bad idea because it overwhelms people. What you've got to do is communicate more frequently and better. And I would rather one informed message than 10, just a little update, no clue, don't know, nothing's changed. That's over-communicating. If you do not communicate frequently enough, people will make up information and share it amongst themselves. And that's why I think, you know, our leaders at the county and government, state, and national level have been well, have done well to have regular press conferences where they're sharing new information because people do want to know. But th yeah, and I think that's one thing that Cuomo has done well. When he does communicate, he's like, it's going to get worse. Here's some of the numbers that they're telling me right? The experts. So I think he's done a really good job of actually being pretty transparent and realistic. He's doing his best to have a hopeful tone to it. But he's like you said, he's not trying to over promise something or, or spin it from what I've told. And I appreciate that. It feels like it's, yeah. it's kind of communication people want, they want to know if it's bad news, tell me the bad news. It's the right thing to do. Right. If you can't pay me after two weeks from now, if we don't get any business coming in the door, let me know so I can start thinking about it now. Don't tell me in two weeks that all of a sudden, sorry, it didn't work out. I tried, but I got to tell you today we're done. Like, that's not okay. Well, it's like my brother didn't say, hey, you're temporarily laid off. Hope we're back in a couple of weeks. He said, here's what you need to do because I don't know how long it's going to be. I would also say, John, pick up the phone and call everyone. If you're a, a leader, uh, pick mm -hmm. up the phone and call every one of your employees and just check in. Don't call them with, what are you doing to move the business ahead? What are you doing to keep the wheels on the cart? I mean, that's a different call. Just say, how are you doing? How's your family? What are your worries? You know, this is a great time. We, we're all so rushed. We say we don't have time to build those relationships with employees and customers. Well, now you got the time. But please, in my opinion, please don't mix that in with some kind of bullshit sales call. I just am tired of people saying, I'm here for you. I want to help. And I've got a webinar and it's $39 and I can help take your $39. That's a mixed message. I know you want to help. If you really want to help, give people good information for free. And I know I'll be criticized by people who say I'm a, a bad marketer and a bad business person. Tough. That's my view of the world right now. 
I just don't think people are going to be spending money on non-essentials. And if you think encouragement is a non-essential, then offer some of it for free. You don't have to charge people for it. Yeah, I agree. It's a different world. It's a different playing field. Um, I just got an email from somebody that said, don't give anything away for free. And I didn't even read the article. I just deleted it because I'm like, you know, this isn't somebody I want to even learn anything from because I just. By the way, I get the logic behind that. You know, one of the things that anybody, doesn't matter what you do for a living, if you give something away for free, you run the risk of potentially devaluing it when you can once again charge for it. I'm not saying give away your primary services for free. I'm just suggesting that for at least a short term, we, we lay off the marketing and we look for ways that we can help and maybe free isn't the word, but maybe contribute. You can contribute. So when I contribute mm, that's money, a good that doesn't mean I, I'm desperate and I'm just doing it because I have nothing else to do. So maybe the better phrase is, how can you contribute without hurting? I'm not, we, we can't afford to hurt our businesses any more than our businesses have been hurt. And let me also say something. I know I'm rambling, but I've got a lot of time on my hands. <laughs> that is please know the difference between a bailout and relief and quit using the word interchangeably because you're mucking up public discourse if you use those words interchangeably. Banks were bailed out by being given money to solve a problem that they created. There's not a lot of doubt that banks didn't get into that situation by themselves. People say, why'd we bail them out? That's because somebody decided, and as an economist, not a practicing economist, I happen to think if the banks had gone under, we might all be living in cardboard boxes now. We decided meaning Congress and Washington, that bailing out the banks, paying to get them out of the problem they created, was better for all of us. They didn't just do and I know the skeptics said, no, they did it for their cronies at the banks. I believe what you want. A relief program is when you help people that were not responsible for the disaster. We don't bail out people whose houses blow away in a tornado. We provide relief. They didn't invite the tornado to come into their community and flatten their homes. And small business people, all the way up to corporations, and people say, well, corporations should have reserves. We all should have reserves, shouldn't we? <laughs> I mean, isn't that interesting that we hold some people to a higher standard than we do to ourselves? And you know what? Corporations do have reserves. But once again, catastrophic problems like this have hit different industries and sectors at different times. But this, to my knowledge, short of the Great Depression, is the first time it's hit all of them. Even in 2008, when travel was down, occupancy rates didn't dip below 8%, which for many hotels they have now. So relief is different. Relief isn't something we give to somebody because they're screw-ups and we want to become dysfunctional enablers. It's something that we provide because it's what's needed and they weren't responsible for the tragedy that befell them. Yeah, that's a good point. I was actually just talking to the general manager of the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs. They're basically shut down. Yeah. I mean, they told all their staff, you know, hey, last Friday is going to be your last day. The earliest that we even anticipate being able to hire back is eight weeks. And just think about these ripple effects that have nothing to do with anything that they ever did as a business decision. And it doesn't matter how much reserve you have because you never anticipated the fact that our revenue would go to zero within, you know, a seven day period. Well, yeah, if, you know, some people, my friends say you need at least a year's reserves to run your business, you know, well, what happens if this goes on a year and two months? I mean, there's no magic numbers. And here's the reality of living in a fallen world. Bad things happen to good people and it sucks. And uh, 
I get as frustrated by it as anybody does. I have friends that suffer my, you know, and your kids, you know, the, I'm frankly, and I'm not, this isn't some grandiose hero statement. I'm less worried about myself than I am my family. If somebody don't get sick, I prefer it not be me because I might give it to my family, but I'd rather take that risk. And the other day, one of my friends in a group that I'm a part of said, I'm okay with dying. And I emailed back and said, just for the record, I'm not okay with dying. And everybody else in the group said, yeah, me neither. I mean, uh, and he said, you know, he's not that old, but he said, I've lived a long, full life. If I die, I die. Uh, no, I'm not okay with dying yet. Uh, I'm not afraid to die, but I, I don't want to, okay? There's a big difference. And so I think, you know, you know, there's a time and that's one of the things. Everybody wants to be a leader. Nobody wants to lead because leadership ultimately, you live long enough, requires sacrifice. The mm. position and the power never outweigh the responsibility and the sacrifice of true leadership. Oh, that's a beautiful thought. So just as we kind of wrap up with everything you've said, just listening, you know, for folks out there, just kind of a final word you'd like to leave with people. Well, now that I talk about dying, this final word, I don't like that choice. of. How about the last words for this interview? And not that I'm superstitious or anything. Well, I don't know. There's a lot I could say, but I, um, again, I'm not the guy that says, oh, you know, if you know, this bad things happen and you know, God did it so you'd get better. That may be true, but this isn't the time to get all philosophical. I will say this, I've done more recalibration in my thinking in my life in the last two weeks, mm. and I'm a pretty introspective person. I've done more yeah. recalibration and, and contemplation in the last two weeks than I have in the last two years. And again, I'm not saying that, that I would say that this is worth it to do that, but since we didn't get to choose the fact that we're dealing with it, work really hard to find a way to make uh, good use of it. And we're recalibrating our society. We're recalibrating travel, work from home client relations, dependence on, on foreign pharmaceuticals, bringing jobs back home. It's a time of recalibration. That to me is the biggest thing that is happening around us right now. But on a lighter note, I just want people to know if you're used to John's podcast with video, I didn't shave. I'm wearing a workout shirt and my readers and a baseball cap. So I forbid John out of vanity to share my image with you. So don't blame him. And by the way, by not seeing me, you're not missing a doggone thing. Well, I'll second that because I'm looking at you right now. And yeah, I wouldn't want to share this with everybody. <laughs> and John will guarantee you're not missing. <laughs> hey, by the way, that's, that's a good way to end. You know, no matter how serious it gets, man, let's keep having appropriate humor because God gave us a sense of humor because he knew there'd be problems we couldn't solve. Yeah. And Mark, I look forward to the time when we can be back out in public again and I can buy you a beer and we can cheers to each other's health and what we learned through all this. And I, you know, I'll tell you this though, on a great note, my entire family is here under the house. My son, daughter-in-law, all three of my boys, daughter-in-law and my grandson. So we have seven of us here. And I got to tell you, it's been amazing. We're cooking meals together. We're having incredible conversations we're sitting around the fire pit at night having a drink and we actually even, my son turned 21, so we smoked a cigar and had a drink and we played games. I got to tell you, it's like this time of reconnection for our family has absolutely been a huge gift that we would not have done had this not been happening externally. So from that perspective, it's actually been quite a, that part of it has been a huge blessing for me as a dad, I'll tell you that. No, I agree. I agree. Well, John, stay safe. I appreciate you, my friend, and thanks for having me on the show. 